Amen. Splendid. Wonderful song. Always bless our hearts whenever we hear it. Thanks so much, Sister Nelly, for singing for the glory of God this morning. Uh, that song is kind of special to me, too, because my mom sang it when she was still living. Sister Rachel Oliveros, I think, sang that also. Very uh, wonderful song. Speaks of... Uh, the goodness, the greatness, and the graciousness of our Lord in our lives, that as Christians, we know that we don't know the future. We don't know the specifics, the details of the future, but we know who holds our tomorrows. Amen? We know who holds our hands. You know, I think that could be a theme song for all our retirees here. Amen? Our seniors. I think we'll have uh, an extended celebration of uh, Sister Nelly's birthday because I can see a lot of uh, pink balloons there. And there is a birthday sign there. Uh, and uh, we know we are living in a day and age that uh, we need to appreciate every moment that we have in the Lord. And uh, I'm, I'm really blessed by the message of the song of our choir. And that's the main reason we are gathered here this morning, to exalt the Lord. We are here to worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we thank God for the first day of every week, Sunday, the Lord's Day whereby there is an allotted time that God's people can come collectively as a body of Christ in this local church or right now in the days and age that we're living in, in your homes virtually. And we, we can pause for a brief moment for an hour or two on a Sunday morning and just praise the Lord, just worship Him because we know that He is sovereign. He reigns and He rules. He is in control of all things. We can always trust him. So I thank God for the special music. I hope that help us like condition our heart, our mind. I don't know, maybe you have a rough week at work or you have some burdens and trials and cares of this world that you've been shouldering, you've been thinking about, you're trying to solve throughout this week. But at these few moments, let's just lay them aside. And let's just take heed and listen to the message of God's word. And my goal and my desire and my prayer whenever I, I preach or teach the word of God is that I could be an encouragement. I could be able to remind you of the truths that probably you've heard before many times, but we just need to revisit them and we need to um, uh, ponder upon them. And we know that here in our church, the main emphasis of our service, of our ministry is always the Bible. It's always the scripture, the word of God, because, you know, heaven and earth shall pass away, but God's word will never pass away. And God's word is our spiritual energy, is our guide to live in this present world. So uh, we will continue our study in uh, the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 11 and 12, since January is the first month of this brand new year that God has given us, and it is a... Um, a month of evaluation, actually, and worship. It's a month where we try to start right, to have not really resolutions, because sometimes, you know, we fail them. But it's the time of the year where we set goals, isn't it? We set some aims, uh, a prize to get, <laughs> a reward to achieve. So we need to have uh, wisdom in our goals. It should be attainable, isn't it? We should put a duration, a time where we can... Uh, be able to fulfill it we, either in our prayer time, in our Bible reading, in our witnessing, in our service to the Lord. 
Because we desire as God's people that we need to do more for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That our Christian life will not be just like last year or like mediocre or, or, or stagnant or just like, you know, plain. We need to uh, continue to progress, to improve, and desire to be more like Christ. For His glory anyways. Amen? So uh, I hope that this second part of our message, I hope I could finish it. But um, we will read uh, Romans chapter 13, verse 11 and 12. So let's all stand, please. If you're at your homes, I hope you have your Bibles with you. Since we are a Bible-believing Christian, we should have our Bibles, amen? Uh, either in a digital form or a hardbound cover. Or, but the best is to have it like this, amen? And we'll read it all together. And uh, I just want to emphasize something here. And we will review what we had um, studied last week. So probably we'll be having sort of a Bible study this morning. And I know that it can bless our hearts. So if you're there in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, all the way to verse 14, say an amen. 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 So let's read it all together. Begin. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the last thereof. Let's have a word of prayer. Gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank Thee so much for Your precious Word. Thank You, Lord, for our religious freedom, civil liberties that we can still gather in this sanctuary in Your house, Lord, to praise the name of our God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You, Lord, for the whole week You provided us our needs, both physical, material, emotional, mental, but most of all, our spiritual needs. Thank You, Lord, that You encourage us that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Now, Lord, we look at your word as our spiritual nourishment. I pray, Lord, that you help me as your servant, as a teacher, as a preacher, to rightly divide the word of truth, that I'll be an encouragement, that we could be edified, that we can learn a truth or glean some truth that we've heard before so it could strengthen our faith, so we can be a better Christian, so we can be a better witness, so we can be a better soul and light of this darkened world. Forgive us, Father, from our sins, our trespasses, and our iniquities. You know, Lord, our hearts, our desire is just to exalt you, to worship you from the bottom of our hearts, not just because of the great things you have done for us, for who you are, especially in our lives, that you are still a holy and a just God. We, we truly tremble, tremble at your presence this morning. Because if not for your mercy, we are already consumed. Thank you, Lord, for your everlasting love. Thank you, Lord, for uh, the love that we have for your word and for the brethren. And we pray, Lord, for this world we're living in. We pray, Father, that may you still be, your presence will still be felt, not just in our political world, Lord, but most especially in our church house, in our own families. May we be, become a beacon of light and hope through the witness of the Spirit, through the Word of God, that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ in this lost and dying world. So we pray, Father, that everything will be said and done 
will honor and glorify your name for ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may all be seated for our good folks inside the church and our uh, faithful ITs here in the church will help me out as a review of our lesson last night. So we have some pictures here, some slides of uh, an item in this world that is very, very precious. And there's a saying that time is gold, silver, precious stones, you know. But it means time is something that you cannot hoard, you cannot add, subtract, or multiply because time is an item that's always constant. We as human beings live in the process of time. We have seasons, we have time, we have weeks, months, you know, years, centuries, decades, because we operate in this sphere of time. But our God that we serve, the God that we worship this morning, is timeless. Amen? He is transcendent beyond time. He is not controlled by time, but He is in control of time. Our God that we serve, He is so sovereign, omnipresent, omniscient, omnipotent, that He is above time. He knows what already happened in the future. He's here with us in the present, and He's been there forever in eternity. So God is sovereign, so we speak. He rules and reigns above time and human and world affairs. So I love that alarm clock. It looks like time flies, isn't it? Time flies, it says inside. Next. All right. Isn't it sometimes you, you, you feel like if you could turn back time, push it as hard as you can, but can you do it? You know, a preacher said once you count 1 to 10, that could never be undone. Everything that happened from 1 to 10 that had happened all over the world cannot repeat itself, isn't it? Because time just moved in a pace. Next. All right. Sometimes we want to get the time in our hands, so to speak, isn't it? I wish I have more time in my hands, more time to probably live or serve or uh, do a, a significant relational progress. But isn't it what we are given is now, the present, is this moment, and we need to spend it wisely because we have time in our hands. Next one. All right, another alarm clock. That's an ancient one, antique one. You know, look at those Roman numerals. All right, next. All right, look at those many, many times. You know, inside a watch, a timepiece. And it's quartz, amen? It lasts for a long time. Amen? I'm not advertising them, but... All right, next. <laughs> all right, this is sad, isn't it? This is uh, something that we're all guilty of especially the millennials. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> we sometimes waste time. Amen? And frivolous things, petty things, insignificant things. Uh, sa Pilipinas, remember when um, pag walang trabaho, ang ginagawa, tambay, di ba? What's the newest gossip or chismis? That's wasting time, di ba? Uh, an idle mind is a waste of time, isn't it? And things have to be done and you're not doing it, and you know that's the right thing to do, and you're not doing it, it's a waste of time, di ba? So, yes, you can learn from that picture. Next, please. There you go. I, I said this last week, and with what's happening in the world right now, it seems like things are out of control. Amen? In the political world, especially here in America, in other parts of the world, there are civil unrest, there are um, poverty, injustices, and seems like evil is winning against good. 
But look at this. A.W. Tozer, a great man of God, a preacher, evangelist, he said, and we can agree that behind the scenes there is always a God who has not surrendered his authority. God is still on the throne. God is still in control no matter what. We might not see the big picture. We might not see what's happening behind the scenes, but God is always there to orchestrate everything. You know what? For the praise of his glory. One day everything that will culminate and we will give God the glory for his wisdom and power and wonderful authority. So I better be under the authority of God, amen? Rather than the authority of men or an individual or a society because God has perfect authority. He will not surrender it, amen? One of these days as we study the Bible, he will have absolute authority. Next. All right, so we started last week with the question, what time is it? Because in our text of scripture, it says there, and that knowing the time. Knowing the time. And uh, we know that knowledge is power. We live a day and age as a fulfillment of Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, that we live in this 21st century where travel is so convenient and fast, unlike 50, 100 years ago, and there's what we call the knowledge explosion. And you know what I'm talking about with the invention of internet by Al Gore? No, I don't know. Who invented that? You know, with the invention of uh, social media and technology, they said that data, information, knowledge about this world, about space, you name it, cooking, human being, anatomy, are doubling every, what, two years now? And uh, the irony is the more knowledge we have as a human being, as a society, it seems like the more foolish we are when it comes to what matters really most, when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to moral obligations, isn't it? And it's written in the Bible. That's the characteristic of the day and age that we're living in. So for us Christians, what time is it? Yes, it's January 17, 2021, and it is 10.45. If you ask that question, what time is it? But for a Christian, it is time to finish the race. Amen? To keep on running the spiritual race. To keep running the spiritual journey that God had placed on you since the moment you got saved. And we need to run well. Amen? We might stumble and fall. We might be discouraged, but this is no time to just stay on falling. We need to rise up and run. The race that God has set before us, it is time also to live by faith in God's unfailing love. You know, more than ever, we need to live by faith and not by sight because as, I, as Sister Nelly had sung, we need to live one day at a time, putting our faith in Jesus. Whatever you're going through, maybe in your health, with your job or career, with your family, with your children, whatever you're going through in your secular life or in your spiritual life, you need to always live by faith and not by sight. What is faith once again? You know, it is substance that we hope for, the evidence that things not seen. It will never be faith if you can see what could happen. It's not blind faith, but it's a reasonable faith. And our faith is always focused on the object of our faith, which is Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of our faith. So I encourage you, live by faith. Live by faith because God's love is unfailing. 
He's always there for you. So we read in Romans 3, 13, verse 11 and 14, the first thing that we can see is that it's time to wake up. Amen? In verse 11, and that knowing the time, that it is now high time. Notice the word high time. There's a sense of urgency because we live in a day and age as a Christian in, in, in the Laodicean church age, so to speak. In this church age, majority speaking, generally speaking, of slumber, spiritual slumber or lethargy and apathy and indifference and laziness. We need a sense of urgency. As they say in the infomercial, what time is it? Uh, I said this a while ago, last week, in Georgia, they said, what time is it? Do you know where your dogs are? Do you know where your ele election results are? <laughs> Uh, in the Philippines, you know what time is it? You know? It's time to? Huh? Sleep. There you go, because there's curfew. You know? You know where your kids are? You see it? What time is it? It's time for them to go to bed. And the radio announcer says that, you know? Uh, and different parts of the world, they always ask, what time is it? Do you know where this is? Do you know where this at? But in a spiritual sense, what time is it? It's time to wake up. Why? What was the reason? Because the Bible says our salvation is near. So what is that salvation uh, talking about? It's nearer than ever. This speaks about the second coming of Christ, which is the first phase, which is the rapture for the believers, the body of Christ. So next slide, please. So today... Uh, it says that our salvation is nearer than we ever believed. And as God's people, we might ask the question, I thought I was already saved. And we study and we review that there are three tenses of salvation. You know, I have been saved in the past. I am being saved in the present. And I will be saved in the future. So the first thing is we are saved from the penalty of sin. As the Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages or the penalty of sin is death. Is that death just physical death that we die and we put RIP in our tombstone or we are put a, a six feet under the ground? No, that's not just physical death, but the worst and most horrible kind of death is spiritual death. And what is spiritual death? Being cast into hell and lake of fire and be separated from God forever. That's final destination. That's final doom. All right? So we've been saved from the penalty of sin because Christ died on the cross, He shed His blood, and He paid the wages. He paid it infinitely because He is an infinite Savior. He's infinite God. Imagine He paid the sins of what? 60 billion people who ever live in this world. He paid for the sin that they have committed in the past, in the present, in the future. And only Jesus Christ can do that because He's God. He's the God-man who took our place. So he saved us from the penalty of sin. That's called justification in theology. It means you are declared righteous. You are forgiven. Now you can stand before a holy and righteous God. And if he asks you, if you die, why would I allow you to enter my heaven, my kingdom? You cannot say, oh, because I am righteous on my own. Because I have religion, I did good works. No, because the Bible says all our good works our performance are just filthy rags in the eyes of God in the book of Isaiah. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, For by grace, what is grace? Undeserved favor, unmerited love. For by grace are ye saved through faith. 
and that not of yourselves. As clear as that, it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So a gift is something that you don't earn. You don't have to work for. You don't have to attain by you. It was freely given to you. All you need to do is to accept or receive it. Isn't it? So it's clear that we are declared righteous because of what Christ had done for us while he was living in an earth. He fulfilled all the law. He obeyed all righteousness. And then he died on the cross even though he's not a sinner. Amen? He took our place. He took our justification upon himself. Now we are redeemed. We are converted. We got saved. That's the past. So every person that call upon the name of Jesus to be saved, don't you know that Christ already paid the penalty of their sin, the Adamic sin that we all inherited. Because man is born of a sinner and he has to pay for his sin. He is condemned to die. But God took our place. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? That's the good news. The gospel that Jesus died, he was buried and he rose again. That's what we believe in this church age in the grace period. But the second thing is present, which is what we should focus as Christians. Once you got saved, you need to grow in your walk with the Lord, in your faith. You, to be, you need to be sanctified. It simply means set apart because we still have the problem of sin. Even though we're saved from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin is still there. We are a dual nature. We still have the old nature and the new nature that's battling every day for supremacy, for control in our lives. That's why we need to be set apart to God. We need to be sanctified. And sanctification has three stages also. There's positional sanctification. In the mind of God, you are saved forever. You are already seated in the heavenlies. That's why we believe that once saved is always saved. We have eternal security. We have the blessed assurance. That's positional sanctification. God has set us apart as His saints in heaven, in His mind, in the future. He can already see you in heaven. But there is also the progressive sanctification that's every day that we live, every year that we live, we need to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's what we call the perfect sanctification. And that's the time we get raptured. You know, we get our new glorified body and we get to heaven. That's perfect. That's final. We are set apart to worship God for all eternity. All right? So number three, we are saved for the future. Uh, and I love this. From the presence of sin. Revelation chapter 20, the no mores in the Bible, isn't it? There's no more sorrow, no more sin, no more Satan. When we get to the perfect age, to eternity. So the presence of sin, that's glorification. We are completely redeemed. We are completely in the presence of God. So there's no more of those negative things. So we can see them. Revelation 21.1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50 to 58, a great chapter about the resurrection. So, next. Um, so, now we will talk about dispensation because our text says knowing the time. And th this is going to be a, a crash course, like a synopsis of what we believe. We studied this in Faith Bible Institute. This is, a new this is not a new doctrine. It's in the Bible because the word dispensation is found in these four verses of Scripture. So let's look at them quickly. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, dispensation. You know, I'm a dispensationalist as a Bible-believing Baptist preacher, and I hope you are too, because 
The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Study to show themselves approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you know how to rightly divide the Bible, it will cause your faith to be strengthened and you will not be swayed by false teachers. Because you know what the Bible says and you can apply what that particular verse of scripture, that context to what it is written about. All right? So dispensation just simply means a period of time. It's an administra administration or economy of God where he deals specifically with a specific group of people. So we know in the scriptures there are people of God who are called the Israelites, the Jewish people, physical Israel. And there are things that are written in the Bible that are just for them. There are a group of people called the church, the body of believers. We who are saved from the moment Christ died on the cross and the church was established all the way to get raptured. There are things in the Bible written that are just particularly for us. There's also the people in the world, the Gentiles, and there's still things for the future that we cannot apply to us. So we need to know how to rightly divide the word of truth. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. All right, oh, chapter 9, verse 7. The first uh, time we can see the word dispensation here, it says, who, um, am I right? Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charges, who planted a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof, or feedeth a flock? Oh, maybe I'm not in the right. Maybe it's 2 Corinthians 9 7. Sorry for the technical mistake there. All right. We should see the word dispensation. Hindi rin, no? O sige, balikan natin yan. Sorry, ah. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. I think Brother uh, probably Gilbert will be able to find the, the right one in 1 Corinthians. But Ephesians 1, verse 10. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. Alright, chapter 3, verse 2 of there you go. If you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, you are. This is Paul speaking to the uh, Ephesian believers. So th the word dispensation there is like a time period of the grace of God. And that's talking about the church. All right? The grace of God. And then Colossians 1.25. Let's just run to these verses uh, that are right with that word. Colossians 1.25. All right? Colossians 1.17? There you go. Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. So here this is speaking about Apostle Paul as our apostle to the Gentiles. So the doctrines that we can find in the scripture from Romans to Philemon are written for us. Christians that are living in the grace age. The grace period, the dispensation of grace. Because if, I'll set you an example. If we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that's still part of the Old Testament, isn't it? Because the Bible says in the book of Hebrews that a testator has to die for the testament to have an effect. So Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, and he is our New Testament testator. So he has to die on the cross and then inaugurated his church. Uh, 
the church age, the grace period. So there's teaching in the gospel that says if your right hand offends you or sin, it's better for you to cut it off, isn't it? Than to go to everlasting with your two hands. Or if your uh, eye offends you, pluck it out. All right, so we cannot get a doctrine from that that's saying, oh, how come you still have your two hands? You still have your two eyeballs because we, we sin. We offend somebody or someone. We sin against a, a, a just and holy God. So if you don't know dispensation that that is talking about, because Christ is sent, the Bible says, to the lost sheep of Israel. The first time he came, he was sent for Israel. Amen? He's preaching mainly to the Jews. That is the fulfillment of the prophecies. He's the Messiah that they're waiting for. But in that passage of Scripture in the Gospel, he's talking about the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. In that time, Christ will reign and rule with an iron hand. It will be peace and prosperity, and there will be no Satan. Remember, he was bound for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. But if you still rebel against Jesus Christ's, let's say, presidency, as the ruler of the whole world during that time, it's better for you to cut off your hand or pluck out your eyeball than be cast into everlasting damnation. So that's what it is speaking about. So it's future. Because in the Bible, there are five Gospels. You know? There's the Gospel that Paul preached in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Gospel that we preach right now, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But there are other Gospels because the Gospel simply means good news. Good news of what? You know, and then there's five, and we don't have time to go there. All right, so next slide. All right, there we go. Thank you so much, Brother Gilbert, for correcting that. But we don't have time to read 1 Corinthians 9.17, then Ephesians 1.10. So biblical dispensation or teaching the truth. As I said, we can use the word in 2 Timothy 2.15, rightly dividing the word of truth. And here it is. The Bible is written to us, but not all for us. Isn't it? The Bible, yes, the 66 books are written to us, but not for us. Not, you know, there's a cute song in our Sunday school. Every, you know, song? every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every, it's cute, it's nice. It's not technically right, amen? Because there are things that are written for the physical Israel, the Jews, the church, the gentle world. There are things written about the past, the present, and the future, but we can learn spiritual truths. Even though it was not written primarily for us, we can glean some truth. We have some principles that we can take out as long as it is also referenced in another part of the Bible. Did you get me? All right? So what is a dispensation? Uh, just a quick definition, a meaning of it. A period of time where God administers or deals with a specific group of people. And every dispensation, there is man's responsibility. There's their failure and there's the judgment of God. It started good, but man messed it up. It becomes evil and God has to bail them out. All right? So next slide, please. All right. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So how do we get the Bible, the Scripture that we hold in our hands? It was first by way of revelation. God revealed His will, His truth, His words to 40 different authors. And then inspiration. He inspires them or God breathed on them to write not just His thoughts, not just a context, but the very Word of God. So the Bible does not just contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. 
Everything's written here. It is the word of God. How come there are words of Satan? Of course, it's part of the revelation. So we can understand what the Bible is saying about. Then from revelation to inspiration, and there's the preservation. God preserved his word throughout the ages since it was written by the first author, Job, all the way to the last author, John, the beloved, the book of Revelation. He found a way to preserve his word and was translated in the English language for us to benefit, which is what we have right now, our King James Version, authorized version. All right, even though the enemy tried to twist the word of God, put perversions, but still God's word says, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall never pass away. So there's the revelation, inspiration, preservation, and then the illumination. That's what happened when we read the Bible. That's what happened when we go to church. That's what happened when we read the scripture by our own. As a saved person, we have the Holy Spirit that teaches us all things. As the Bible says yeah, that the, the people search the scriptures, the, the believers in Antioch, I believe so, isn't it? When Apostle Paul or another disciple preached to them, they have to search. And we are blessed because we have the complete word of God. All right? So all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine. That's teaching. That's truth for correction and instruction in righteousness, isn't it? That the man of God may be perfect or mature in their faith. Continue to grow and grow, you know? So we can continue to serve the Lord. So the Bible is simply a historical book. It, it tells us about the past, so that's why we read Genesis. Don't you know that Genesis chapters 1 to 10 is the foundational truth of Christianity? There's a lot of people who deny the reality, the verbal inspiration of Genesis 1 to 10, that Oh, Adam and Eve, they're not really real people. They're just a myth. They're just figuratively speaking. They're not really, it did not really happen. Don't you know even major religions deny that? But that's foundational. That's where we know where our origin is. Amen? The origin of life, the purpose why God created us, His grace, His forgiveness are all there. The start of civilization. But also not just historical book, which has no error. Amen? But prophetical. Like more than, I think, 70% of the Bible is prophetical. Now, all the way from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the last book, which is Revelation. Then also doctrinal, which is good for us in the present. As I said, for the church folks, for us who are living right now in the grace period, this is our, where we get our doctrines. From the book of Romans all the way to Philemon. We cannot get our doctrines from the gospel or Acts because they are just part of the transitional of, of the Old Testament to be ushered into the New Testament. We can get some truth, some principle, but Apostle Paul is our apostle to the Gentiles, to the church age, and he completed the things that we need to do about doctrine when it comes to salvation and things. And of course, there's revelation and other epistles that could help. All right? So next, please. So what time is it once again? As we look at our scripture in Romans chapter 13, verse 11, 13, knowing the time. How do you know the time if you don't study what time is it? Amen? Right now it's 11.05. If I answer that question, but what time is it? We need to differentiate time and eternity and ages and dispensations in the scripture. Because you can see these words in our Bible. First, there is what we call outside of time. In the outside of time, there are two ages. There is before time, parang dinosaur, no? Yung show. Before time, you see. 
or the alpha or the creative stage ages because we don't really know how many years has transpired before God created. God only knows, amen? Because it happened before time. And then after time or the omega or the age or ages. So that's the first one outside of time. But the in time, there are three ages and seven or several dispensations because other people are saying there's only seven as a perfect complete number. Some are saying eight. Some are saying there's 11. For me, there could be an eight and we will study that. Next, please. So what are the three ages? Just to give you a synopsis, once again, a bird's eye view of the whole Bible. There's the antediluvian age that extends from the fall of Adam and Eve to the flood. Noah's flood, the global flood. All right? That's composed of Genesis chapter 1 all the way to Genesis chapter 10, I think. All right? Then the present age from the flood to the second coming of Christ. The flood, when God gave uh, that rainbow, that Noahic covenant to, to tell us that God promised that he will never destroy the world again with water. You know, so that's from the flood all the way to the second coming of Christ, which is the rapture. And the age of ages from the second coming of Christ, when he comes back after the seven years tribulation, remember, he comes back to establish his millennial reign. That's the end of time. And that's the last age. It's a dual age composed of the millennial age or the millennial kingdom, the 1,000-year reign of Christ, and then eternity, the perfect age. So just a summary. Right, next. So biblical dispensation. We will just try to run through this quickly as a review. We're still in the introduction. Amen? The review of what we studied last week. First is the Edenic dispensation, all right? Which is also the dispensation of innocence. Okay, we can find that in the book of Genesis chapters 1 to 3. And we know the story. God gave man the responsibility. You can eat whatever you want in this garden. God created Adam. He was lonely and he's sad because the animals have partners. They have a date and he doesn't have a date. And he was like, Dressing the garden, taking care of it, naming the animals. But he said, oh, how come the mosquito has two people having a day? I don't have any. So he was, you know, kind of lonely. And God saw that. So God let a deep sleep and he took one of his ribs. And we know that we need to live and cleave when we got married. And right? they became one flesh. But there is the serpent, you know, that was possessed by Satan or Lucifer or the devil during the time. So we read in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. And he said unto the woman, Yeah, had God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? See, he started questioning the word of God. That's what the devil always do. He never changes tactics, actually. He just gives doubt, you know? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Verse 3 of Genesis chapter 3. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it. Did God say, Neither ye shall touch it? No. So, before Adam and Eve eat of the tree, before they, they had the sin of disobedience, rebellion against God, the, the woman here is already lying. So the serpent has said, had noticed, hmm, she added. So she can be vulnerable to my temptation, to my trap. So 
The serpent said, I don't know if this happened just only one time. The Bible is silent. Maybe every day. You know, imagine that. They can eat whatever. They can do whatever they want. They have full control and dominion of Eden, of paradise. But only God gave one rule. Don't eat of that forbidden tree. Forbidden fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. That's easy, isn't it? I can do whatever I want. There are the true libertarians. They have liberty to do everything because they are innocent. It's a perfect environment. Only one thing that God put, do not eat of that tree. But his, she said, we cannot touch it or eat it lest we die. But the serpent said, verse 4, the woman, you shall not surely die. There you go. He lied. All right? For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods. It's more liturgy. Actually, the Mormons believe this. Human beings can be gods <laughs> in the future and rule their own planet and, you know, populate it, you know. Knowing good and evil. But can we handle knowing good and evil? No, we can't, isn't it? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant to the eyes, by the way, it's not apple. It's always pleasant in the eyes, red apples, but the Bible is silent. It could be kaimito, star apple, you know? And a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took up the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her. And of course, Adam loved Eve. Oh, he's my one and only. So he sinned willingly, you know? He was not, he was not tempted, he just ate of it. And the eyes of them both were open, and they knew that they were naked. Who told them that they were naked? Now their eyes are open, they know what's right and wrong. Now they lose their innocence. That dispensation, only responsibility is to not eat, but they didn't do it, so they failed. And the judgment is, as we know, God has to pronounce a curse. Adam has to sweat, work hard, before the ground just bring forth fruit and vegetables. They don't have to, like, work hard and toil. Now there was curse placed upon the earth. You have to, there's thorns and thistles. You have to work hard so the earth can produce food, you know? And then the woman, of course, the, the curse, the judgment is he will she will be under the, the leadership of the man. The man now will be the head of the home, as always would be, and the woman will be a help to the man. And then they will have kids, there will be happiness to the family, isn't it? But sometimes not, you know. <laughs> so that's what happened. And the serpent, of course, he lost his limbs, he became ugly, he became a dreaded creature, and he was like crawling in the ground. There was a curse placed on them, and the world also was put in a curse. So everything that's happening in the world that's not nice is actually happened the first three chapters of the book of Genesis, particularly Genesis 3. There was a curse placed because of sin. Death started coming to the world. Decay, deterioration start coming to the world because it's the cause of sin. All right? So God has to be merciful. God has to kick them out of the garden. As they said, Eve ate us out of the garden. Imagine if Eve did not sin, uh, probably the way of a woman, a mother giving birth, they're just going to sneeze. <coughs> and then comes the baby, you know? You don't have to be in pain because that's part of the curse, isn't it? The judgment. Uh, laboring, you know? I remember with our fourth child, Eloise. Man, this is the fourth epidural for Jay. You know, and I told her, you know our mothers in the Philippines, they are like Amazona. They're like ancient warriors. They just bear the pain. Let it go, let it go. And you know, and they get like 12, 13 kids. No epidural, no hospital, no hospital beds. They're just like tough women. I said, you can bear it, you can bear it. And then she was clinging to me and she was like crushing my hand, actually. 
and I am having crumbs in my legs because I was beside her bed. And, and I said, I cannot bear it anymore. Okay, go get the epidural, you know. Feel comfortable. Why, why, why not take it if you can, isn't it? But just kind of scary, you know. If you don't have a good anesthesiologist, they may poke something that's not supposed to be poked. And you're paralyzed already. Oh, or like you lost your memory, something like that. You know? But imagine without, before the fall, if, if Eve had kids. Achoo! There goes a boy. Achoo! There goes the girl. No pain at all. Painless delivery. Do you need hospitals? <laughs> Probably not. You don't need midwives or nurses. You can just give birth by yourself. But because of the fall, there's a judgment. Also, all right? So they have to be thrown out. So next is the antediluvian or the age of conscience from the fall to the flood. So the Bible says, uh, here's a good verse, Romans. Let's turn there. Uh, Romans chapter 2. Now God gave man his written law. What is conscience? As an inward moral compass. Amen? That tells you what's right and wrong. Remember, the law was not given yet during this time, but man has to operate by his conscience. Romans chapter 2, verse 14. So, for when the Gentiles which have not the law, this can speak to the people who lived during Noah's time, do by nature the things contained in the law. These having not the law are a law unto themselves. Isn't it? Romans 2.15, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness and their thoughts demean while accusing or else excusing one another. But what happened in that dispensation, that specific time? Still, God's deal with people, the whole world. Did they obey their conscience? No. Because the Bible says that their, their wickedness against God is like sukdulan sa Tagalog. Everything that you know that is like sinful and worse that men commit nowadays, they were able to commit it. During Noah's time, sodomy, bestiality, idolatry, immorality, name it, murder. You know, they did it. That God says in the book of Genesis that it repented the Lord that he created men. So what happened? You know, there's that responsibility to obey the conscience, but they seared their conscience. You know, they didn't listen to it, but they just enjoy sin. So God has to judge. So, but Noah, we read, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So look at salvation in the Old Testament and New Testament. You know, we can say that it's, it's, it's never the same in every dispensation. But one thing we can all agree, that we can only be saved by the grace of God. That's why the grace of God, the unmerited favor, undeserved love, it's something that only God can give. So it tells us that man is deprived, he's a sinner. So what happened? Noah found grace. Eight people were saved. Also, 1 Peter tells us about this from the flood. And, and we know that the ark pictures Jesus Christ. There's only one door. It's the only one way to be saved from judgment to come. And that is the Savior. And then what had happened? From the fall to the flood, which is 6, 1,656 years, approximately speaking, that what had happened. So what was man's responsibility? Obey their conscience. They fail. There's a judgment. And the next dispensation is... The post-antediluvian or the human government. Now, we read that men began to multiply upon the face of the earth. Amen? There is the evil line of Cain. There's the godly line of Seth. And in the times of the flood, there is still like that godly line in Noah's line that was preserved. Eight people, Noah and his sons and their wives, only eight people out of probably what? Millions of people 
who perished in the flood. But Noah has three sons. Who are these three sons? All right, not the three wise men, all right? The three sons of Noah, Shem, the godly line, you know, the Jewish, huh? Ham, huh? and Japheth, the Europeans, the inventors. Ham are the athletes and singers, the descendants. That's their contribution to the world. So Shem, Ham, and Japheth, all right? So what was the responsibility? To scatter, to replenish the earth. But what did they do? They were disobedient, and there came Nimrod. A mighty man of uh, a hunter. And you know, you know, Nimrod is the 13th man from Adam. That's why they say 13 is the most unluckiest number. 13, yeah. Friday did the 13. Bad things happen on the 13. So, I don't know. That's what they said, numerology. But look at the Tower of Babel. What is Babel? Where Babylon comes. What is Babel right now? Iraq where a lot of civilizations started. So what happened? They disobeyed God's commandment. Dispersed because he knew the heart of men. They made Nimrod their leader, and they start building the tower to worship the sun, moon, and stars. Idolatry. Amen? So God said, let us confound their language. So there's a dispersion. God has to judge them. Isn't it that's happening right now? One world, globalism. One world, digital Technology, one world government, one world religion, one world enemy, Israel. So it's, you know, it's like history repeats itself in a bad way. So what was the judgment? They have to be dispersed. So, nandun yung mga Ilocano, Kapampangan, Tagalog, they went to the world because after the flood, the world was, you know, dispersed. They said before the flood is only one big, huge continent, but because of the flood water, they were divided. So you go to South Africa, you go to Asia, some settled in Europe. So that's the beginning of the nations with their language. So you understand of one another, like, hey, give me the hammer. Nanu? <laughs> oh, he cannot understand. Oh, okay, because they were confounded. So the people who understand, now I'm just saying about the major language, probably that's a major language that happened. But they were divided to ethnicity and other languages, isn't it? Because they developed. So yung mga taga English speaking siguro or yung mga Arabic speaking, they all gather together and they disperse. So that's happened. Then next is number four is the patriarchal dispensation or family. So now God is not dealing with the world as a whole. During Noah's time, during the human government time, now he deals, he zeroed in with one family. That's in Genesis 12. Wow, nasa Genesis pa rin tayo, no? So God called Abraham, amen? Abraham who became the father of many nations. And in Adam, there's the Adamic covenant. In Noah, there was the Noahic covenant. In Abraham, there's the Abrahamic covenant, the agreement between God and Abraham, which is unconditional. What is that? And we, we still claim this. That's why people who support Israel and ally to Israel are blessed by God because of this unconditional covenant, unconditional promise. Now the Lord had said, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto the land that I will show thee. The Bible says in Genesis 12, verse 2, and I will make of thee a great nation. Don't you know the Arabs also came from the lineage of Abraham because of his impatience? That's why they are also a great nation, great people, and I will bless them. That's what happened in America. When they consider Israel as a sovereign nation in May 14, 1948, they allied to them, they supported them. I will bless them that bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse them. See? That cursed thee. 
Why? Because they are the people of God, the chosen people of God. Don't you know why God has to zero in with Abraham to start the Jewish nation, the Israelite? Because there are three things that the Jewish nation contribute to be a blessing to the whole world. First, they instill the belief that there is only one true God. Monotheistic, there's only Jehovah. The rest of the world are pagans. Heathen, they worship multiple gods, millions of gods. Same thing with nowadays, isn't it? Hindu religion worship 350 million gods. There's a God for everything. But that's their contribution. There's only one true God. That's why God called Abraham and their history. Second, they gave us the scripture. Isn't it? The 40 authors of the Bible, most of them are Jewish. And then thirdly, they gave us the Messiah. Jesus Christ. Through the promise seed, all the way from Genesis 3.15 with Adam and Eve, all the way to those uh, sacrifices of the Lamb, all the way from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob to David, all the way to the New Testament, the book of Matthew, all the prophecies of the prophets. So, what had happened? The patriarchal dispensation or the dispensation of family, that's 430 years approximately, and it ended in Exodus, all right? What was their sin? Their sin of idolatry. Don't you know, remember the story that Jacob uh, is being pursued by his brother Esau because he cheated on him on his birthright, and Rachel has to hide the idols in, his ca in her camel. And then there was a famine, and Jacob and his descendants, more than 70 of them, went to Goshen, and they start embracing the idols of the Egyptians. And did not come back to the promised land, but they stayed there until they were enslaved by Pharaoh. So that ended the dispensation. Next, number five. Not to hurry. Then there's the legal dispensation. After the Abrahamic covenant, God has to call a person to preserve his people because their Christ came out for him because of the slavery of the Pharaoh. Uh, in Egypt, all right? So God did not forget his people, amen? Even though they are living out of his will, so came Moses, the great deliverer. We know his story. He was 40 years in Egypt. You know, he, he's supposed to become like probably the next Pharaoh, but he knew that he was an Israelite. He killed an Egyptian. Then he fled to the desert, to the Median desert, and God has to give him a Bible school for 40 years, amen? God has to teach him. From being somebody in Egypt, he became a nobody, in the wilderness, a nomad, 40 years, until God showed at him at the burning bush. That was the turning point of his life. Amen? And God has been using him for the next 40 years of his life. So he lived to be 120 years. So imagine, from the time of Adam to Noah, people can live to 1,000 years. Imagine. And then after the flood, we, our lives became 120 years. Then after, later on, because the more we sin, the more the world corrupt, now it's just three score years. 170 years, so approximately 1491 years. So if you look at the Bible, we just have a biblical history of what? 6,000 years or so? No? Unlike the evolutionists are saying, oh, the world is billions and billions of years. No. Wrong, right? That's what, what the Bible teaches. So the law was given. We know the story. Moses was used. Exodus, Passover. They went to Mount Sinai. They were given the law. You know, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. And they were given the ceremonial law, Levitical law. And don't you know for a, a true Jew, a true Hebrew, an Israelite, if they will really follow the law all the way to the New Testament, after the Ten Commandments, Levitical law, 
The Pharisees and Sadducees added an added interpretation that there are already 631. And they said right now, you have to obey 1,200 laws, regulations and rules, ritual to be a good Jew. No, no wonder Christ said, if you exceed the righteousness of a Pharisee, you cannot enter them. Because they're the most, quote-unquote, spiritual righteous person who ever lived in this world. Imagine, you've you seen the modern day, isn't it? The Hasidics. No? They have their own government. <laughs> no? They're really going to go to the synagogue. They're going to really worship. As I said, I testify, I, I went to a bar mitzvah. And they're reading the Bible in Hebrew. In scrolls. And they're singing songs in the psalm. Like, ooh, I feel so holy now. I feel so righteous because I'm with the people of God. Even though their eyes are veiled of the truth. That Christ already came 2,000 years ago as their Messiah. But they reject him. But we as Gentiles, as Filipinos, we embrace him. He became our savior. Our eyes were given the truth. So we're more blessed than them. We're more blessed than the people who, uh, who was living with Christ 2,000 years ago. Where Christ showed all his miracles, isn't it? But they did not believe. That's why Christ said, blessed are those who had not seen me, yet believe. Aren't you glad you have the Bible to tell you that? We're more blessed than them. Because we can see the picture in a bigger sense. So what happened? Of course, no one can keep the law. That's the judgment. You know, the law is supposed to point you that you're a sinner, that you need God. But you still have to have the law because, you know, this might shock some of you, because in the Bible, salvation is not just always by faith. During that time, it's faith and works. But right now, it's faith, not works. So, there's also dispensational salvation. That's why you read in the Bible, in the New Testament, in the Gospel, you have to repent and be baptized. I thought we were not supposed to be baptized to be saved. But if you know dispensational teaching, it's written to the Jews. It's written because they're still under the law. When they get baptized in the baptism of John, it's just an outward sign that they are truly repentant of their sin. They have to show it, mani manifest it. But is that apply applied to us as the church age? That in order for you to be forgiven of your sin, you have to be baptized to go to heaven? No. You only get saved by grace through faith. But why are you baptized? Because you identify yourself with Jesus Christ as a disciple. As a follower, it's the first step of obedience. And the Bible says there's always blessing in obedience. And there's a curse of disobedience. You see? So if you know dispensational truth, it will not confuse you. Number six, ecclesiastical dispensation or the church age. So, go back again in Romans 13, knowing the time. Is this our time now? Yes, it is. That's the time we're living in. This is from the time that Christ went to the cross and died. You know, the church is inaugurated. You know, and he will come back for his crown. Uh, for us first in the rapture and then after the tribulation seven years, then he will um, establish his earthly millennial reign so it's, it started the descent of the holy spirit to the rapture of the church but what is the failure there's a responsibility to be saved by grace through faith so that's why i'm saying the best time to get saved is now now is the accepted time the bible says you won't say i'll wait for the tribulation if if the bible is really true you heard the gospel you're a sinner you're convicted repent receive don't procrastinate because you never know the time that you die or you get raptured, then you miss it. And probably you will take the mark of the beast. 
when everything goes against you. Now everything is going for you. But during that time, it's going to be against you because, again, it's not just faith that's saved. It's now faith and works. You have to endure until the end. You cannot buy or sell. You'll be persecuted. You'll be hunted. And once you take the, be the mark, even if you know that salvation is by grace, then it will still doom you forevermore. You will be apostate. You will lose your, not lose your salvation because you're not saved in the first place, isn't it? If you will not persevere or endure. So in that context, you need to have dispensation to understand that. Because they are saying, some are saying, oh, you can lose your salvation. But that, is that applied to us? No. Because that's a different dispensation. All right? Next. So I add, some are saying it's only seven or eight, but for me it's eight. All right? Because we can separate the great tribulation. All right? The period of Jacob's trouble or the 70th week of Daniel. I don't have time to go through that. So... What's the responsibility, the accountability of men? To endure. Once they heard the preaching from the 144,000 Jews, the two witnesses, probably they read a literature that you left behind. Maybe you give a gospel tract to your friend and say, Blah, and say ah, I don't believe that. I have my own religion. Maybe you post something in your Facebook, Instagram about the simple way of salvation and they read it. Ah, I won't, don't want to believe that. I, I like my sin. I want, I want to live for the world. I'm going to be serious about Jesus later on. And then they, we get raptured and they enter to the great tribulation. So what will they do? What's their responsibility? To hold on! To persevere! If they realize the truth that Jesus Christ is the only way, and now they're in judgment, they have to hold on. But it's going to be hard. They have to endure, persevere until the end. They might be killed. All right? They might have to fly to the mountains and caves and live. Imagine in America, you have the convenience, you have the air conditioner, now you have to go and fled because people are hunting you. If you don't have the mark. So, that's the judgment. Alright? And then, of course, Christ would come at the end of the tribulation. And he will fight in the battle of Armageddon. He will come with us. Because the first phase of his coming, the rapture, he will come for the saints. In the air. Imminent. You know? He will not have a touchdown like football. Super Bowl. But in the second coming, the second phase of the second coming of Christ, he will come and every eye would see him. He will... Land in the Mount of Olives. And we were there in Israel. This is the Mount of Olives. And there's the gate leading to Jerusalem. And the Bible says it will quake. It will split apart. And Christ has to go and walk towards the gate. The eastern gate. It was really amazing. We're here. Last year. That's why I urge you. If, if you want to do a, an investment with your spiritual walk with the Lord, go to Israel. Oh, there's Dr. Steve Cook inviting us. There's already a date. I post it in our web. Go! Before the rapture comes, happens. Before the millennial. At least you'll see that face here. Maybe that's one of the, if the Muslim have a pilgrimage to Mecca. It, because they really believe that, you know, they have to do that in order to, for them to be saved. One of the pillars of Islam. Probably for a Christian, it's not enough to see Google Maps. Or our, oh, that's the land of Israel in the back of my Bible. But you have to be there personally, if you can, if you can afford to. Pray about it. You know your hearts will be blessed. It will give you a revival. Like the Bible comes to life. You walk where Jesus walked, the Moses walked. You see places. And, of course, it's not just a regular tour. It's a Christian tour. Give you prophecies and truth. And you appreciate that you're a Christian, that you have the Bible. So what would happen? The last is the millennial kingdom. Look, Christ, ah, oh Christ, 
The devil will be bound for a thousand years. Christ will rule. The perfect government. Amen? All the promises to the Jew in the Gospels, they shall inherit the kingdom of God. All those things that pertain to them. God will never forget His promise. He promised them a physical kingdom. They thought it's the physical kingdom when the first time Christ came. They thought He will establish His reign. He will kick out the Roman uh, government, but did not understand because they did not understand the prophecies of the prophets that he came the first time to establish an eternal spiritual kingdom where both Jews and Gentiles can be part of it. But it's not true yet with them because God always keep his word. Now in the millennial reign, Jerusalem, Israel will be the center of the world. Christ will rule with an iron Face. He will rule with fairness and justice. There will be peace and prosperity. The curse from the earth will be lifted up. We will have an earth like in the Garden of Eden. Amen? There's no gonna, gonna be tragedies, natural calamities, no, no more bagyo sa Pilipinas. No more earthquake in California. No more like uh, blizzard. Everything will be perfect because Christ rules. He lifted up the and it's, it's prophesied in the book of Isaiah and other parts of the Bible, that the lion and the lamb are together. There's no more thorns in the ground. It will produce, and people will be able to live to a thousand years. Those that survive the tribulation in their physical bodies will go to the thousand years. So, they are not regenerated. Their hearts are not transformed. You see, even there was a perfect government, perfect rule. But look, when Satan is loose at the end of the millennia, why does God have to lose him? Go ask him when we get to heaven. But that's what the Bible says. But it tells us that man's total depravity is there. If man's heart is not transformed, no matter what the government gives you, no matter what kind of family you're born in or environment, if your heart is not transformed by the power of God, you will still rebel against God. You will still sin. So it all starts with the heart. Amen? God has to transform our heart. So what happened? They will rebel and they will fight God. Of course, God will always win. And he will cast them to the lake of fire. And that's eternity. So that are the seven dispensations in the Bible. And we didn't really get to the message. What are we going to do? Are you guys hungry? How long have you been speaking? An hour? Okay. So we'll just uh, close with this, all right? We'll have part three, Lord willing. Alright? So let's look at Titus chapter 2, verse 12. So why study these things? Why know the time? Because as the Bible says, it is high time to awake out of sleep. Because it's time to wake up. For now is our salvation nearer than we believe. So look at this encouragement. I just want to encourage you. With everything that's happening in America, for us who lives here in the political world, we might be discouraged. We might be disheartened. No? Seems like it's so unfair. And then these verses come to our mind. Righteousness exalted a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. When the wicked are in rule, people will mourn. We might be starting to mourn because our rights and religious freedom may be taken away to us from us little by little. But are we going to be worried? Are we going to live in fear? Oh, this is still COVID-19 pandemic. I know people that I, I have missionaries that write to us that their families were infected and they, they died, you know? Uh, there's a lot of injustices. Uh, poverty might come, sickness. But 
if we know the time that we're living in. What's the encouragement? Titus 2.13. Looking. There we go. There's always another option. Amen? Rather than worrying, fretting, we can worship God. We can wait upon His coming. We can watch. We can work. Looking for that blessed hope. Isn't it? When we, you see the time and age that you're living, isn't it? We, I told you, why do I feel from the word of God that we're close to the great tribulation? Because there is the perilous time in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that we're living in. There's Noah's time. That seems like the character of the world we're living in. The one world government and all this stuff. You know, there is that 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, like the Antichrist, the son of perdition is almost around the sin. Isn't it? So knowing the time, well, we should not fret or worry, but we need to look for that blessed hope. Why is it a blessed hope? Because this hope is a living hope. You know? It's a hope that we're loving it. Amen? Longing for it. Isn't it? It's blessed. And the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. So those people who don't believe that Jesus Christ is God, mm, that verse just is great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, look, turn your eyes upon Jesus. When you're discouraged, look upon Him. Also, Hebrews 10.25, knowing the time, so if you know He's coming anytime in the rapture, imminent, what will you do? Not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Amen? Pastor Abel like, just gave a wonderful, hard message, good preaching last Sunday afternoon in our online worship service. Amen? You have to be faithful. You need to be alive, enthusiastic, excited. You need to be prepared. Because even though we cannot see you, God can see you. Amen? Amen. And He deserves worship. Amen. And thanks be to God, we have this avenue, this opportunity that you can be in your home. You know? With your suit and necktie and coffee and Bible and notes. You know? <laughs> For you. So you can still worship the Lord in spirit and in truth with that avenue. But you need to be faithful. You need to be serious. You need to be sincere, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. Kasi marami nang absentee, even in the times of Paul. But what happened? Exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So they said, the coming of Jesus Christ is nearer than yesterday, than the day before. So the message is to the unfaithful church members, you better wake up. This is more important than baseball, weekend excursions, or family reunions. This is more important. That's why we encourage you to invest in spiritual things. Give to the work of God. Pray more. Read your Bible more. Witness to others. Have the boldness and the courage because you never know. Our salvation is nearer than we ever believe. It's time to wake up. James 5, 8, and 9. James 5, 8, 9. The Bible says, Be also patient. Establish your hearts. For, once again, you see the phrase, The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. Right now, Jesus Christ is calling people to be saved, calling believers to be faithful to Him. He's not the judge. He's a Savior. Amen? You know, He's calling His servants to be faithful to Him. But one day, He will come as a judge as a king, and we will just be subjects. And he has to, to judge the world into righteousness. So, the sons of time are quickly running out. Watching the news can be depressing, but it can turn into a worship service as you see it all coming together, just as God predicted. So why worry if you can worship? 
Don't let worriness wreck your life, but watch, work, witness, and continue to wait upon the Lord. Why? Because verse 12 it says, The night, there you go. Night is a reference to the reign of Satan of this world. It seems like he's reigning, isn't it? The God of this world, the prince and the power of the air uh, is, is in this world. But day there refers to the return of Jesus Christ to get his right possession and, and dominion. And remember, Jesus is also said as the day star, the bright and morning star. Isn't it? I'll close with this. We cannot finish this. Maybe next week. Um, I saw some folks in our friends, in our missionary friends, that somebody passed away because of COVID-19 or because of some disease. And they always say, see you in the morning, my brother or sister in the Lord. You know, that comforts our hearts, you know, that the day of Christ, the day of the Lord, the day, the day speaks of truth, righteousness, light, isn't it? Because God is light. But sometimes we go through nights of our lives, darkness, when there are problems, there are trials, there are heartaches, there are suffering. But the Bible also reminds us that there is joy when the morning comes. That's why I like this day. Did you like this day when you wake up? Oh, you saw the sunshine? Another day that God has given me. I can worship Him. We're blessed, isn't it? We're alive. It's a blessing. So if you see some darkness around the world, always look for the light for the day because God is always there. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible that gives us hope. Thank you for the promise that we need to look for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It could happen any moment. It could happen next week, next month. If you tarry your coming next year, we don't know. But what we know is you've given us your word as a guide. And we need to live faithfully for you. We need to redeem the time because the days of, are evil. We need to be serious in our Christian life. We need to pray for our young ones, our young people, our children, that they will have a heart for God. We know that the devil and the world and the flesh have brought us a lot of distractions. It can divert us to the negative things that we see in this world. But once again, the Bible always directs us back to what is really important what is really lasting in this world. And that is our relationship with you. Our relationship with you. Our service to you. I pray, Lord, at the start of this year, we may know you more uh, and the power of your resurrection. May you know you more and your word and prayer and may we really reflect in a deeper relationship with you that you're always there to answer our prayers. You're always there when we need somebody to talk to when we have things that we are experiencing that we cannot even tell our spouses. But there is a God in heaven. There is Jesus Christ who is our high priest, who is concerned of what we feel. And he truly cares. And he wants to help us solve our problems, give us the grace of God to continue on. Before I end this invitation, if there's any person in this uh, broadcast, in this live streaming, I just want to extend this message. Now is the accepted time. If you're here and you're listening, I don't know what time, the first thing that you need to consider in your life is where are you going to spend your eternity when you die? All of us are going to die because of sin. And we die because we have a broken relationship with God who is just righteous and holy. 
But God loves us so much. God is gracious. He sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the bearer of the greatest and wonderful good news ever. He died for our sins. He paid that penalty so we don't have to go to hell so we can restore that relationship with our Creator. So if you're here today, you're not sure that you're going to go to heaven. You cannot place your trust to your religion, to any ritual, to any relic, to any good works because those are not enough. They can never wash away your sin. To be ordered to be in heaven, you need to be as holy, as perfect as God is. But the problem is, is we're all sinners. But Christ is sinless. He took your place. He died on the cross. He was buried and He rose again. But if you just repent of your sin and receive Him by faith as your Savior, He will save you today. He will give you eternal life. He will change you. If that's your desire this morning, I don't know who you are. Just call upon the name of Christ this way. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you love me. You died on the cross. You shed your blood. You were buried and you rose again for my salvation. I repent of all my sins. Ask you to forgive me. Save me today. I believe that you are the only way to get to heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, that's a prayer that the God of heaven will always hear. A prayer of a repentant sinner. And if you do that prayer, let us know. And there's a passage in scripture, whenever a sinner received and repented of their sin and received Christ as their Savior, the whole congregation, presence of angels in heaven, then God himself rejoices. For a Christian here, what time is it? I know you have a schedule in your life. You have plans in your life. We heard a great message last Wednesday that God's purpose and plan will always prevail. We just need to always trust Him. But what is your plan for your Christian life this year? We're still in the new year, the first month of the year, the third Sunday of this month. How's your progress with your walk with the Lord? It's just between you and the Lord. Are you discouraged? Are you weary in well-doing? I encourage you. This might be the year that all our labors will be done. This might be a year that we cannot work anymore for the night is coming. Judgment is coming. So what you need to do is just to live for the Lord. Live for Him. Know Him more. Be a witness for Him. Support your local church congregation. Pray for your brethren. Be a witness to your workplace. Live a good testimony in obedience to the Lord because it's worth it. The Lord will bless you for that. Father in heaven, as your people pray, I don't know what is in their heart, any petition. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us the Bible that we can have a little knowledge of what time we're living in. Knowing the time because it is now high time to wake out of our sleep. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we are sleeping spiritually. But as we see what the world is going into, as we see even in, our, in a personal level, your mighty power in our hands, we are reminded, Lord, that you are still sovereign, that we can live the Christian life one day at a time and be faithful to you one day at a time. Because if we just start with a little step one day in a time, we can be faithful for the rest of our time here. 
in this earth. Lord, help us. It's only by your grace and mercy we can do this. Bless the prayers of thy people. In Christ's name, amen.